Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Licton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. Now on to the episode. Hi, and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm here, as always, with uh, John Micton. John, how are you doing? Good. I, I love these little unprompted topics. You know, they're like our little special, we throw it out. And so, Dan, when you said this cybersecurity, I was like, oh, what a coincidence. I just did a thing with senior citizens and with parents at where I work. So, uh, and you just did one at ECIS. So it's yeah, really I just did a cool we get a chat. Exactly. Yeah. Cybersecurity for school leaders. And actually this presentation is kind of a basic, we're going to go through that and we're going to discuss it and ask questions and stuff. So yeah, I just did that. I've got a huge interest in cybersecurity and I'm getting much more interested in it and much more active in, in it. You've got a great perspective, John, because you've worked in international schools in many, in at least three continents. And um, I've no, no doubt suffered multiple cyber attacks <laughs> and have multiple meetings about it. So you, you've got a great perspective as well. Absolutely. And then I think one thing that I've really tried to do, and, and I think that's something that you mentioned, maybe we can talk about, it's still really under the radar and it's hard to get traction yeah. and get school leaders and even faculty. And I think uh, what in some schools with GDPR, they had to do a lot of audits and one was a cyber audit. And yep. that kind of percolated up issues of phishing and kind of holes in the systems. So then cybersecurity became a, a little more of a prominent topic in some of the schools that I was collaborating with uh, in Europe. And uh, But tell us a bit about your adventure, because you were the only IT topic at this conference. I was the only IT topic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's unusual, you know. I mean, obviously, uh, IRCOS, which is kind of Asian equivalent, and I know ECIS is, is global now, but it's, you know, the Asian equivalent. Is, it was a lot of tech sessions. This wasn't, you know. I, that's why uh, Nancy, our mutual friend, uh, asked me to speak at the last minute. Um, she realized they didn't have many tech sessions. So that was kind of the, the thing behind it. And I said, great, I'd love to come. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting. You know, I, I would think, I mean, and you, I even, I ran my idea past you and you even said, yeah, I mean, a lot of school leaders don't have, they want just a tech director to think about this. They don't, it's not, it's not something they have experience of. They don't feel they have knowledge in it. You mentioned they have fragmented like reference points. And, and I think there's obviously a lot of time a problem with school leaders that they're not involved enough with, with cybersecurity. So the goal of this workshop then, Dan, was really targeting because that you went to the ECIS leadership conference in Dusseldorf. Yeah. And the idea was then to kind of highlight that specific to school leaders. And I think some CFOs were there. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So um yeah, all kinds of all kinds of people, curriculum people, um, yeah, exactly. Some some like heads of, you know, head of head of elementary school, you know, I mean all different kind of leadership. But what we talked about was like I Put a slide on here uh, kind of the big picture you know what is what is the big picture in terms of the, the risk to schools we talked about the basics of cyber attacks you know what what is phishing what is what is malware you know what is how does ransomware fit into that etc bit about the basics of cyber security and then um got into some google security we, we, we won't talk about the google stuff today we'll just cover the sort of general cyber security stuff i mean and I, I know you don't want to talk about it but i think people need to understand and i know microsoft is the same both those platforms invest a lot in, in their security environment yeah yeah 
space no. and there are a lot of powerful tools. So I just think I, our audience should, you know, understand both those ecosystems have invested a lot in that space. And I know you don't want to focus on that, but I think it's important to highlight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I'd love to. I just want to, I want to keep our audience. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't want to make it a google thing I yeah yeah that's right the word microsoft exactly no i mean there's one thing it's interesting we had um obviously and if you know mark from nine he was actually he was at the presentation as well and we talked a lot and um you know if i mean at a very high level if you have like a completely cloud-based system whether it's based on google microsoft and a bunch of cloud systems you don't have a physical server it's actually quite hard to get like a ransomware attack. And if you, and if you do, it, you know, you've got no issue. You, it's backed up. You'll be up and running again very quickly, you know. It's most of these attacks come when you have a physical server infrastructure at, you know, at, at your school. That's kind of a, an interesting thing just to say up front about, about using Google or, or using Microsoft. If, if you use the, the, web, you know, the, the online version of Microsoft, not, not the server-based. I think you bring up a big, an important point because in a lot of schools, they have migrated to something like Google or Microsoft or some cloud-based, but a lot of servers are still in the home. So for example, some student yeah. information systems prefer a server on campus for customization and management. So I think you know schools need to be mindful that whatever servers they have uh, on, in a physical space somewhere in a building, those are the ones that might have to need a good looking at. I think, you know, obviously the, the, the issue, I get, not, not the issue, but the reality is schools are very much at the mercy of, you know, of the tech director, you know, because obviously, you know, the leadership rely on what the tech director tells them. And if you recruit a tech director who, who you know, is maybe worked their whole life in this client server area, maybe they're a Microsoft engineer, the cloud is, you know, maybe they're reluctant to move to the cloud because it's new and they might convince the school not to do it because, um you know, they're a bit scared of it. Not, not that I'm, I mean, this is just my opinion. I mean, some people would say, go client, have your own servers all the way, but you know what I mean? I think it's, that that's kind of the issue is, I think that's why it's good to have a school cybersecurity strategy. And, and I think a good tech director will try to get leadership involved in that. So, you know, they're not just giving them their opinion and everyone's just taking their opinion, you know, blindly. Yeah, I, I can agree with you more. And I think that as you're stating that shared approach of a tech director making sure and the IT manager that their leadership is aware and has that understanding. The other thing is there's so many great organizations and I know in a couple settings where I was uh, you know, heading the IT department, leveraging some local uh, cybersecurity companies can be really helpful with some good contacts and they can also kind of act as like a, a guide or even a reference point as you're having those conversations. And I know, Dan, you do that with a lot of schools with the service that you provide. And I think yeah, that's exactly. also a nice approach. Yeah, we're expanding that. We're actually, we've just partnered with No Before. I'm sure you know No Before. They do simulated phishing attacks and training. We've become a partner with them as well because that's a great solution, sort of low cost. But um, yeah, I mean, to come back to schools, I mean, basically... Um, Cybersecurity, I mean, schools were a big target, is the issue. I mean, it's interesting, as, as part of the session, we, we actually took a look at the, at the dark web together. I, I went to some of these ransomware groups, and we actually had a look at their pages. They're really funny, you know, in a way that it's very, there's some good comedy in there. In there. But it, it, it listed all the, all the organizations that they had released the data, you know, exfiltrated the data for. And about a, a bit more than a third were schools, either colleges, school districts, you know, private schools. So, I mean, education is a is a big target. I mean, curious to know why you think it is. I think it's schools that may be perceived to have not as good security as enterprise, the first thing. Second thing I think is, especially sort of state schools, if people think, well, they've got budget, you know, like they have, they have budget, they'll just pay 
um, etc. And so, you know, I, I, schools are a target. You know, not not just not. We'll talk about phishing and other things as well, but especially for ransomware. I'm not sure if you've got any any opinion about why uh, why that's the case. Well, I think also, and I think you brought up the point that often schools are maybe not as well versed in the dynamics and the nuances of cybersecurity, so it leaves them potentially perceived as a soft target. And also, yeah. if you think of the parent community that many schools have, very wealthy, usually middle class. A yeah. lot of good contact emails, et cetera. A lot of them are captains of industry or, uh, you know, women leaders in different organizations or yeah. in corporations. And I think that in itself is an interesting group of people to have that information of. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk a bit later. I mean, there's you know, obviously we'll talk about ransomware. There's a lot of very over ingenious schemes people do. Fee fraud is a big one where, you know, a group will compromise. Say, let's say they'll compromise a Google account on the school because you know, if a school use Google single sign-on to get into the billing system, and they'll get onto the billing system and they'll just um, send emails out to all the parents and you have to pay an extra fee. This happened recently that w w when I did the presentation, four people in the room had had this happen to them. There was a well-known, I won't say which student information system it was, but um, there's a well-known system that has a billing module and they emailed all the parents and 20% of the parents paid the extra fee. You know? And that's amazing. And also a few years ago, there is an international school that got its site cloned yep. and the admissions portal. And so the potential parents were paying admissions fees to this clone site. That's amazing. I mean, like the thing is, even it's obviously really bad, but it is, you, you have to respect the ingenuity of, the, of, these, of these groups. It's uh, it's crazy. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it is, it is a lot of creativity, but at the same time, it shows how often maybe a, a certain uh, complacency or yep. feeling that oh, we're a school, we're not a bank, we're not a financial institution uh sometimes might give you the sense oh we don't need to worry that shouldn't be a priority and i think what i'm hearing from you and from my few uh points of reference it's definitely something that should be a high priority it should be a high priority definitely so um just a few more things i'm just going to fly through these slides because i don't want to get too much into the numbers but uh, malware is increasing and we'll talk a bit about what malware is a bit later on although interestingly i've got a really good research i've discovered that the actual amount paid out is going down, partly because the U.S. and the U.K. have effectively banned you paying ransom parents now, ransomware parents, because they say it's it's financing you know money laundering and legal activities. So yeah. You actually can't pay. So it's interesting that the number is going down, but we'll, we'll come on to that. That's um, interesting. Yeah, phishing attacks. We'll talk about phishing. Let's jump into this. Um, yeah, but anyway, I mean, ninety-three percent increase on cyber attacks to education sector between 2000, 2020 and twenty twenty-one. Uh, a, a lot more happened during COVID as well. So this has gone up even more, but it, it's, it's an increasing threat. And it's increasing in international schools just because there's more, there's so many international schools now, and it's a market worth targeting. When it was just a few small schools, it wasn't something that was really on anyone's radar as a hacker, but now, you know, it is. I think your points are interesting, if you don't mind going back, is this yeah. idea, you know, what, what, what are the negatives or what happens? Is this loss of credibility, loss of reputation? It can infect, uh, infect sorry, impact schoolwork. I mean, yeah. or just this kind of domino effect if that happens. Yeah, well, let's get, let me jump onto the types of cyber attack, um, and then because we can talk about the specific points, like what, what actually are the risks. But, but I mean, I think a big picture for anyone listening to this, you know, school leader, tech director, tech directors should know this already. But you know, the idea is don't wait until a breach happens before you put the strategy in place. You know, but there's a big but, and the big but is 
be ready to react if it does, because there's a good chance it will. So your plan has to include prevention and reacting to the situation and, and have a team ready to do that because you can't be thinking of a plan once you've been hacked. You know, the plan should be ready to go. These are the types of attacks we could suffer. This is what we'll do in this situation. You know, this is our, our strategy. And I think if you do that and you plan it in advance, um, just just like, you know, the people who, who managed to plan a, a fully remote teaching were, were in an amazing position before before COVID. You know, if you, if you plan ahead, then it will help you a huge amount, I think. So true. Um, so let's go on to the basics of cyber attacks. Like these are kind of like the, the, the top six and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a bit about these uh, individually. Uh, social engineering is not really a type of cyber attack, but almost every cyber attack includes an element of social engineering. Uh, phishing, you probably had received emails purporting to be from somewhere else. This is really common. We'll talk a bit about phishing. Malware is where you get infected um, software onto your computer and ransomware is part of it. So we'll talk a bit about that. Um, and we'll talk a bit about DDoS. Um, interestingly, DDoS is um, you know where you get uh, a hacker will use a network of computers to flood your website or your server or your computer with traffic. Interestingly, when I looked at the numbers, this is usually done by students or parents. Interestingly, dis disaffected parents have, have done this quite often to schools. It's, it's absolutely amazing, you know. It's it's a non-technical thing to do. You know, you can buy access to a to a botnet from on the dark web pretty easily and just do a DDoS attack on somebody, you know. So, just uh, so people know, social engineering means when humans versus humans are interacting with each other and a human might give information over voice. Oh, you have it right yeah. there. Sorry. So it's the art of manipulating, influencing, or deceiving you in order to gain control over your computer system. And a hacker might use phone, email, snail mail, or, or direct contact. I mean, it could be, you know, I could be social engineering you now, John, to tell us to get access to your system. I mean, it could be, it could be anything. What, what's really interesting, I think I've told you the story. I was at DEF CON, which is a hacker conference in Las Vegas a few years ago. It was absolutely amazing. I, I want to take my son there when he's a little bit older. But um, they had a social engineering room. And uh, I thought I'll go there for an hour. Uh, I ended up spending a whole day there. I just stayed. I didn't go to anything else. I spent a whole day in this room. What this room was, it was a live, it, they were hacking live. So there was a stage and, and it had, they had a soundproof screen on the stage so that, you know, so that the audience's sound didn't come. And they picked a, picked a, a company. So they picked Dell computers when I was there. And he had to call a Dell and he had a list of things he had to get. He had to get the username, the password. And then there was like bonus things. There was, um, you know, your memorable information, your password number, you know, da, 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 da. And these guys would just, guys, you know, guys and girls on, on the stage were doing this. And it's interesting, you know, because they had a soundproof screen. And one of the reasons was because when, when they put some sensitive information, they cut the sound because you've got a, a room full of hackers who will immediately be hacking, you know, all these people. Um, and what was amazing is some of these people, uh, two or three specifically, they, they got all the information easily, the username and password. They then got, they just kept going. They, they got, they got their banking, they got uh, their, um, banking log on their banking password they got them to um they got sent the code so they could set up the, the google authenticator app on their phone so they could do the hacker could do two-factor authentication for them this was all just on a phone call this is no hacking whatsoever they got the person to give all this information i think people are on a, it's um, unbelievable i mean everything they had everything they, they had full access to their entire life personal and business lives i witnessed know, a phone call where this young uh, this uh, journalist asked this uh, hacker, a young lady, and she ran a YouTube soundtrack of a baby crying yeah. and then called a cell phone company and was making the baby cry, so she was newly married. And, th that, and, and the person on the other side just couldn't 
handle the baby crying and pretty much gave everything. Well, that's that's really common. I mean, there's a there's a common thing now. There's a few cases recently where, I mean, this is really taking this to a, like a horrendous level where they'll call up people's grandparents and say they've kidnapped their grandchild. And they'll have someone screaming in the background, and and you have to pay the ransom. And this is this is quite common, you know. And, um, that's crazy. So- and, and I think that's an interesting point is that a group, unfortunately, that is often targeted and usually not to their own, not for any fault of their own, usually doesn't have as much awareness of digital skills as senior citizens. Yeah, and exactly. Was John, you, you know, obviously you, you're an expert in this topic. You work <laughs> with senior citizens on technology. I work with senior citizens. Yeah. And, uh, I, the the figure was just astounding. I mean, a few billion dollar dollars every year in the U.S. towards senior citizens and working with senior citizens, I definitely can uh, see how difficult it is. You know, especially when you are not as adept or not coming from a background of using yeah. a lot of digital tools. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a guy. I'm looking look at his YouTube channel. There's a guy called Hacker. Uh, what's his name? Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but he's really, really funny guy. He basically, he, he, he targets people that are targeting, you know, like these old people and stuff. And, and he, he'll keep them on for hours, messing them around. And, and, and often he'll hack their computers while they're, so he'll pretend to be an old person and, you know, oh, who, who, they'll contact him thinking, you know, he's the old person. He'll then hack them. And often and he's amazing. Quite often he'll hack the video cameras in their office and stuff. And he'll be like saying, you know, you're wearing a blue t-shirt and then they'll be freaking out and things. So I'll send you a link. I'll put it, I'll put the link in the show notes. Not that I am for vigilante uh, kind of dispositions, but that's kind of cool because uh, I, I've, you know, entertained some very sad stories with the participants in the groups that I support here in yeah. my hometown. Uh, that's yeah. So, that's crazy. But interestingly, like social engineering, I mean, just to, so you understand, I mean, almost every, I mean, 90%, effectively every attack relies on some kind of social engineering. It might be email. I mean, phishing is essentially social engineering. Um, you know, it, it's, it's how it all starts. So, you know, and it's not, it, it can be like, you know, you know, if you've ever been at maybe some event and you've met someone who was a bit shady and asking you some strange questions, I mean, it can be face-to-face as well. You know, people can target, you know, it's unlikely to happen to people who work for schools because, you know, if you work, if you work in the, say, the British Embassy, I mean, I, I know someone who, who works for the British Embassy. I mean, you're trained in because you will meet people in real life who are out to, to compromise you or find thing information out and things. So you know, you're you're actually trained to protect that. Schools, it's pretty unlikely you're going to meet people face to face or trying to get to the school through meeting you. But it, anything's yeah. possible. Though. One area that is very popular and unfortunately some very sad stories is through dating apps. And they're actually uh, oh, no. criminal gangs out of Cambodia that uh, facilitate a dating app relationships. And, uh, oh, and it's, it's even it's worse than that. Um, so I'll send you a, an email to a great, uh, great podcast I, I listen to. It's called the, uh, I'll pull it up right now. It's called. We um, about that last time. You yeah, Underworld, and the and the, the and so in Cambodia they're using slave labor. They they basically they recruit people from across Asia who speak different languages. They might speak Philippine, uh, they might speak Vietnamese, whatever, and and they they don't they give them these targets they can't make and they they keep them. It's in these they call them special economic zones in in, in Cambodia, and they're doing these dating scams. So they run them from these huge centers. And these special economic zones, which are supposed to be for, to encourage economic growth, are just run by these uh, Chinese warlords, basically. Um, and it's it's like this point. You definitely should listen to this podcast because they they actually go into and speak to these people. It's absolutely fascinating. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's um, 
I'm, I'm fascinated by cybercrime, but it, it is horrendous. But, uh, but yeah, phishing, let's jump on a phishing. This is really, really common. This is how, you know, you send, you, you've all received emails um, from, you know, saying they're from a bank. That's, that's general blanket phishing. That's not as common. I mean, I mean, if you use Google, it's pretty good at picking up these emails. Yeah, Spear absolutely. phishing, which is normally just called phishing, is where you send a focused, targeted attack uh, via email. You know, so I'll give you an example. We, we, we're just, I was mentioning before, we just partnered with No Before, which is a phenomenal organization. A lot of international schools use them. They do simulated phishing attacks. And one thing they will do is they'll send an email out from um, saying they're from the Google administrator. They'll have an email, a, a domain looks something like Google, but it's different. It'll say, hey, we need you. We need your user, you know, your username and password to get in uh, for, for for some reason, they'll give it a reason. The system's been compromised. We're resetting passwords. It'll give it a reason. Um, and then with the no before, uh, which we can help with, you get a, a dashboard and you can see real time who's clicking on this. Now, I was in South Korea recently and I was with a tech director. I, w I won't say the school for obvious reasons. We're in the pub and, and it was how he was showing me on the phone, you know, live. We were looking at this. And just while we were in the pub and it, it hadn't finished yet, 25% of all staff had clicked on the link. And 15% had given their username and password. Wow. That's amazing. It's interesting, Dan. You know, when uh, GDPR came about, uh, I actually worked with Mark from Nine, and they came and did some phishing attacks and, uh, uh, you know, really kind of poked holes everywhere. And it was very sobering to see, the, uh, you know, how many potential holes you could have. Uh, and I think, you know, every school should be, getting an organization like you mentioned or even yourself or with a local cybersecurity company and be practicing these phishing emails because and the spear phishing especially because now with ai i'm finding i've had a couple instances uh where the emails have been really good and i mean it's oh, they, really, they, yeah they're good you know, exactly the mistakes and the funky links all gone and it uh, really had it was just me thinking no, I'm not doing anything with that organization, or I did, but not recently, and just spam it, you know. But uh, I think the spear phishing is becoming far more sophisticated. Thus, as you were saying, the importance of getting these uh, practice runs with your faculties. Yeah, definitely. Get in touch if you're interested. And one thing I would say about that is, um, no, no, before, it's, it's quite low cost, so it's great. It doesn't cost you too much to do a simulated phishing attack. And if, you, if you're a tech director listening to this, or anyone, a school leadership person, and you want to get your people into your staff interested in cybersecurity, like do this first. Because then you come to these people and you say, listen, you know, ex, ex, ex staff member, you click, you give your username and password, the system's compromised, you know? Um, and you can come to it and then you have a, a data point to say, look, 25% of you did this. That's a lot, you know? <laughs> and people realize they do need training at that point, I think, you know? Which, as you know, yeah, you, you know you've done this yourself. So, um, Malware. Now, malware is really interesting. Like um, malware is where you get, um, you know, uh, some malicious software onto a system. Now, we talked in the beginning about if you've got a completely cloud-based um, system, it's not as dangerous. But there's there's a lot of types of, of malware. You probably heard about worms, trojans. Um, these are kind of the ways, the point of entry. Uh, I'll just mention really a really interesting one that's happening a lot at international schools now is crypto jacking. I'm not sure if you've come across this, John. It's quite a recent I thing. Heard of, I read a couple things uh, on LinkedIn about some people highlighting that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not done it's not done maliciously in the sense of it's not done to, to, to cause the school harm. It's just literally someone in the tech department is mining for crypto on the on the school servers. Schools, if they've got some decent sized servers, they'll often do it at night or the weekends, and in, in their mind, they're not doing any harm because they're doing it when the school's not doing. But you know, it, it causes a issues. Uses a lot of energy. Head process. Uses a lot of energy. Nobody can. I mean, it can cause servers crash. And this is this is very common. You know, it's common across all businesses, but uh, especially in schools. You know, because people, a lot of tech staff in schools think they can get away with it. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. Now ransomware. That ransomware is a huge point for schools. Um, so ransomware. Some of you watching or listening to this may have unfortunately been a victim of ransomware. Ransomware is where you receive some, it's a type of, of malware. You, you receive this, um, this ransomware, it locks you out of your system and you know, they ask for a ransom always, always in crypto. So they uh, ask for the, for the ransom and there's two real risks about ransomware. One is, um, loss of access to your system. And the second is the data is, is released to the public. Now, the first one, um, it's interesting. We talked earlier about if you've got a fully cloud-based system, the, the risk to your system isn't very high. You know, you can, um, you've got backups, you can restore it. Google, you can restore Google after a ransomware. It's very unlikely Google will get a ransomware attack, but if it did, you know, and I, I'll talk about how that happens, you, you, you can bring it up. The, the big risk is, your data being exfiltrated. I mean, that's a huge, huge problem for school. You're dealing with you're dealing with children. You're dealing with you know vulnerable reports. You're dealing with staff assessments. You're dealing with a lot of parent sensitive information. Parent information. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's interesting, Dan. I was teaching my principal training course uh, a couple summers ago, and one of the school directors in a part of the world had just come out of a ransomware, and. Uh, you know, it was it. Uh, I was just unbelievable how to shut down the whole school. Something that, and I've done some research in this, is a lot of government organizations. I know, like in Luxembourg and in France, and I think in Belgium too, there are nonprofit organizations that support nonprofits when there's a ransomware, and you can contact them, and they will give you uh, cyber engineers and white hackers to come and support you. So. You know, be mindful of what resources are in your area, because I think more and more governments, as you said, Dan, are mindful how critical that is. And, you you know, if you're a school, if I'm just imagining if I was a tech director in one of the previous positions, I don't think however much I thought I might know about it. Managing ransomware really needs a lot of expertise and you have to be very cautious. It does. And, and the reality is, you know, they are going to. They are going to dump your data if you don't pay. You know that's that's the reality. Now it's interesting. I was looking at the numbers. I mean these these even. I mean and remember if if you pay, it's thirty five percent of the ransomware groups then try to re-extort you later. So even if you pay, that's not the end of it. So paying is is not the solution. You know it's, it's easy for me to say. You know like don't pay. Yeah, of course. Uh, but you know um, and and uh, you know and if you do pay, normally your cyber insurance is going to be dealing with this now, because international schools are normally not in the US and the UK and. Uh, they're in a gray area legally. Some some do pay. There's no doubt about it. I think very few will ever admit it, but 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 quite a few do pay. I just think again, you know, if you are a school leader and IT team and thinking you don't have anything, look look at the local resources. There's some very reputable and excellent 
uh, organization supporting nonprofits in this area. So, yeah. for example, in Luxembourg, we had a thing called the Circle, and it was a whole bunch of, of volunteers that were in the industry and for-profit companies, but volunteered their time for NGOs, and they were fantastic. That, that, that's great. I mean, and the thing is, it's interesting. It's part of my um, part of my. Uh talk we took a look at the, the the dark web now the dark web is really interesting it's it's because i'm fascinated with cybercrime as you as you know john this is like a huge i listen to podcasts about it i just you know i know a lot about it and and the dark web is interesting so i don't bring devices to your house dan <laughs> i'm not a hacker john i just i'm just an enthusiast i'm just interested no but um what's interesting is by the way i couldn't even get the xbox working today so i'm supposedly this technical guy and my, my wife embarrassing my wife who's not technical at all came and got it got it working you know but um like the uh, yeah, the dark web. So the dark web is interesting. In case you're wondering what it is, it's um, it's it was actually developed by the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory in the '90s, and it's 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 nothing illegal. It, it's actually the Tor network, T-O-R, which means the onion router, which essentially an onion, like an onion has multiple layers of skin. It's multiple layers of security. It's an encrypted network. I mean, you can find sites like Facebook have, a, have an onion website. And, and if, you see a, if you see a domain that ends dot onion, that, that means it can only be accessed by the Tor network, which is called the dark web. And you have these dark web marketplaces. Most people have probably heard of the Silk Road and Russell Brecht. Which was closed down. Now there's there's lots of these networks and all kinds of trades in illegal activities going. And one of the things is obviously ransomware. And you have something called RAAS. You, you know you have software as a service. You also have ransomware as a service. So different models. You can actually buy access to their software. Sometimes you pay them a commission. I, I, we were, we looked at some websites together and uh, see these people have their own websites. You know on on, on the on the dark web. You know, quite often they'll take 20%, you know, the, the, the ransomware software company will take 20% of the ransom. And so, I mean, the, just, just to let you know that a lot of the time you're not dealing with sophisticated hackers. You're dealing with just someone who's a bit dodgy, who's got on the dark web, who's, you know, licensing, paid some Bitcoin, has got access to this um access to this system and is hacking people, you know, they're not. I mean, you tend to think that they're all tech geniuses, but a lot of them are, are, are pretty amateurish, you know, and they still get away with it. And that's the thing. And you'd mentioned students before, you know, the thing is, you can go onto the dark web or even on YouTube. And there are a lot of tutorials on how to do this. I mean, it, yep. you know, pretty much if you have an internet connection and are willing to listen to a video and are used to, you know, uh, learning from visual and audio, you can quickly walk away with some tools and strategies to cause some harm and, and damage. And it's interesting. I mean, in, we so at the session at ACAS, a couple of a couple of the people there said that they'd been hacked by their students, and you know, the students usually weren't trying to steal money with, and they were just trying to impress their friends or show they could do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and on the one hand, the schools were like, you know, they had to punish for students, but on the other hand, it was like, well, we've we've taught them some good tech skills, <laughs> like it's a. But the thing too is you have to be mindful because if students do that, there can be legal repercussions in certain. There can be, and you really, I think you know, uh, that's something to be really mindful of. You know, you are yeah. playing with fire. Definitely, and well, I mean, you know, you you shouldn't you shouldn't be in a situation where students can do that. You know, that 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 should no, be you absolutely know, not. 
ever 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 happen. Um, and that's interesting, Dan, because often tech directors are reticent to have junior tech teams go into the server room. And, you know, when kids want to learn about IT in the IT department, often it, it's the creative tension. How much do we give them access? And, you know, after a while, just plugging in cables and monitors doesn't, you know, is not very interesting. So it's, it's, that often it's, is an issue. It's amazing how many, they call it shoulder, it's a type of hacking uh, shoulder surfing, which just means looking over. It's amazing how many schools get hacked because someone's put a post-it note next to the monitor with a username and password. Yeah, yeah. That that happens all the time. That's like I don't know what I don't know where that ranks, but it's one of the most common ways someone will get access to your system. And it's interesting through the GDPR process for many schools that whole thing with uh, passwords on the screen, not locking your screen, all those things percolated up. And I think I you know having collaborated and also been part of groups, a lot of schools really kind of up their ante in this whole area, really understanding uh, something as basic as leaving a computer screen with a student information system open and you go away for a couple hours while anybody could come in and get a lot of information. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, 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 Put, I closed. I put my computer on sleep if I walk to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't even leave it as I in the next room. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, definitely very, very interesting. That um, so yeah, this was actually um, so Dan, as you're doing this presentation. What kind of reactions are you getting? So the audience that came to you obviously were not experts. They were curious, or they had a baseline of understanding. What, what were kind of the, the, the reactions as you're going through these slides, which, you know, are quite high stakes. Some of this stuff, we're talking, you know, potential uh, major issue for us. Yeah, I, I think it was a surprise, especially when, when we look at, we took a look at the dark web together and they were just how, how in the open it is. Here's, you know, they could, you could just buy yeah. buy access to a ransomware attack there on, you know, how easy it was, how open it was. I think that was, that was a surprise to people. Um, but people have this idea that dark web, you have to kind of crawl into a, like a, a tunnel and there's a special computer. Right. Any computer. I mean, it's right It's a modified there. Firefox you... browser. Just just Google for Tor, yeah. Tor browser. You can download it in, in 20 seconds and you'll be up there. You know, and there's nothing to do. There. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so I, th- I think people were surprised. I think, you know, I, you know, you tell the stories. and But, I mean, they all had stories. They knew they'd had stories of things happening in their school. So they know it happens. I think, you know... You know, in a sense, people don't want to think about it. It's just like, oh, you know, because... So, what, Dan, I want to stop you on that because that's yeah. really important what you're saying. They don't want to think about it. What is the reticence of generally uh, educators and just people and companies even that just don't want to deal with the cybersecurity? Is it because they think it's not their issue, it's not a problem, or is there just too many other things that are kind of blurring the noise of cybersecurity? I think there's different reasons, you know. I think part of it is like, you know, why do a lot of people not go and get a regular health check? They just maybe they're scared of what's gonna what they're gonna find out, you know. That's that's actually a real a real thing. I think that's one reason. I think they've just got another another too many things to think about. They'd rather just let the tech director think about it. They don't, you know, leadership doesn't want to have to worry about it. They don't really understand it. It's not something they really know, and and it, they don't. They, they think they'll have to invest a lot of time to get up to speed on this. I, I think, I don't know, in my opinion, that, that that's a couple of reasons. 
No, I mean, it resonates. You know, I've done many workshops and uh, I would say the people that are most engaged and really as the senior citizen audiences yeah. that I work with. Interesting. They how, it's a big how issue. They, how do they react to it? Are they surprised how easy it is? Or? They're aware, but they're really concerned at their capacity to be nimble enough especially, you know, remembering different passwords, having different layers of passwords. You know, when you're working with people that are between the ages of 70 and 90, there are different capacities to remembering and managing. And for quite a few uh, of the uh, of the participants, they don't come from a digital world. You know, a smartphone is something that their child gave them. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So t we've just discussed the, the, the Tor network. Um, so DDoS, this is one of the last ones we'll look at. I mean, this is pretty simple. You know, you, it can be linked to a ransomware attack. So essentially, you know, a DDoS attack might put, take your school website down. It might take your school server down. Um, it might take an individual computer down. You, you know, someone could then give it. Often people ask for a ransom to, to get it back up again. But um, often, we mentioned at the beginning, often students do this. You know, it's, just, it's quite easy. You can buy access to a ransom, uh, a botnet on the dark web you know, for not very much money and, and just cause some trouble. You know, parent, parents have done this, which astounds me that an international school parent would do this, but it happens. That's just <laughs> incredible. I find that just amazing. It's just uh, like, that, yeah, that's just really when you, vindictive. Yeah. Just when you think, you know, everything about, about the world, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's DDoS. I mean, I know uh, this is what, one thing I want to talk about the, um, uh, yeah, so malicious insider shoulder surfing. These are just something. This is this is basic. You know, it comes under the social engineering umbrella. So, you have uh, someone in your IT department. Maybe someone offers them some money to get access. Maybe they're you know annoyed about a, a bad staff by performance review. Maybe they they got something against the school. But a lot of attacks in companies and in schools happen from someone in the IT department um, who's disgruntled or gets paid by somebody else. And also, I think so often people forget when, you know, it's the unfortunate situation, you have to let go a staff member, you should actually be shutting down all the accounts as you announce it, somebody in the yeah. background. I've, I've heard of schools that forgot and it's two, three weeks later and suddenly they send a big spam email to everybody. This is, you know, security card, access to accounts, yeah. really understand. That's why mapping your systems is so important. Who has access to what, what levels becomes really important, especially if you get into some type of situation where people have to move on. Yeah, exactly. Shoulder surfing. I mean, we mentioned before, you know, if you have a student tech team, they go into the server room, someone's written, put a post-it note or someone's typing in that they got a password written down, you know, like a lot of, you know, it's, you know, we think about the, the, the genius, mysterious hacker in his black hoodie, but often it's really basic things for how people get hacked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so man in the middle, this is really interesting. This is kind of the last of the attacks. So um, when I was, this was maybe 10 years ago, I was in Prague, I met a friend of mine. Um, uh, I won't say which country it's from, but let's just say it was an East, Eastern European country. Good friend, very, very technical guy. And we were in there and we were in Starbucks. And he said, oh, do you want to see what that, that person's looking at their computer? And I was like, I was thinking before he was bluffing. So he pulled up uh, his Firefox browser, and there's just a Firefox extension, nothing technical called Firesheep. Um, and he just pulled it, he clicked on their name and pulled up their Facebook account on the screen. Like, like he could see what they were seeing on their screen. He had full control over it. Now, this is a man in the middle attack where, you know, you, um, 
if you've got an unsecured Wi-Fi network, you can essentially use something called a packet sniffer. Now, FireSheep doesn't exist anymore. There's tools like Wireshark and things, and you can easily intercept the traffic. Now, this was before the days of you know SSL. So now if you see a website, it normally says HTTPS uh, instead of just HTTP, and the S is secure. Like Facebook in those days what wasn't SSL, wasn't HTTPS. Now it is, so it's not as easy to do that. But what, what people can do is you're at Starbucks, um, someone gets access, they use, they use, they use uh, Wireshark, they got in, they see all the traffic, and they'll often see usernames and passwords which are un from unsecured. You, know, you might be entering a password to an unsecured website, maybe it's your golf website, something like that. Now, 75% of people use the same password for everything. So if you know their password for their golf website, you know the password for their um, Microsoft account. So you know, this is why, I mean, I, I think a, a lot else schools should recommend for leadership at least, if not all staff, if you're ever on a on a on a, on a um, school laptop and you're at an op traveling in an airport at a cafe, open Wi-Fi, just use a VPN. You know. Yeah, and I can tell you, I have had the experience of colleagues going to the airport or traveling to a conference and coming back with an infected machine. Yeah. I don't think people understand when you go to the hotel or you go to Starbucks or to even to the grocery store or the airport. Every time you're connecting to that Wi-Fi. Please don't do banking. Don't do anything yep. where you're sharing a username and password. Maybe go and find out the weather or, you know, how to travel from point A to B or use a virtual private network. I, I, I'm just always astounded. You're at the airport and you see people banking on their phones and you know they're not using uh, some type of extra layer of security. So I think that man in the middle that you bring up is so, so important. And uh, that's something that I have quite a few videos I've done in different school contexts, kind of getting ready for the holidays and being mindful of that, you know, two-step yeah. verification, uh, using yeah. the facial and the fingerprint, and then having a VPN, you know, add those layers, because at the end of the day, when you are in these open networks, you're just basically free fodder. Yeah, and the other thing people do is, and this is really common. Um, there's, um, do you ever, do you watch the series Mr. Robot, uh, John? Yes, yes. I'm a huge of fan of Mr. Robot. They, they actually, they actually show this hack live, where where you do the cantena with a Pringles can, the metal, you put a wire inside, use the inside metal. It's quite a good thing, and you could transmit. Well, it's very easy um, if you've got any technical knowledge to create your own Wi-Fi hotspot. You're on Wi-Fi network. So, you know, sometimes you've been in a cafe and like, let's say you're in John's Cafe and you might have seen like John's Cafe 2 and some other ones. Often, this is a hacker will just create a similar sounding network hotspot. They will uh, give it a similar name to the, to the cafe or the restaurant or the hotel, whatever. People just connect to it because it's, it's the easiest connection. Um, and then, um, they, again, same thing. They've, they've got even more access to you. They can use a packet sniffer. They can, you know, so it's interesting. So like often when you connect to an open Wi-Fi network, it often isn't the network you think about it. I mean, this happens like, this is very, very common. Yeah, and, and that's what's astounding. And I think, you know, you know, Dan, which is great that you, you know, shared this with a group of school leaders is the fact we today navigate on these digital devices pretty, pretty much day and night. Yeah. We do our hotel booking, we pay our phone bills, we do our banking. It is pretty much everything we do is online. And so to really navigate that without this basics of cybersecurity, I yeah. think is really, you know, short changing yourself. And I think schools 
and I'm going to be a bit on my heart. I, I, I should do much more vigorous efforts to be much more. training and making people aware, especially their students too, and, and their faculty, because faculty travel all over on the holidays. So I think yeah. it's still a topic that's not amplified enough. Definitely. I mean, what would, yeah, exactly. I mean, I know, I mean, obviously, John, you, you're very, you know, you've, you present this on, on the principal's training centers. Obviously, the schools you've worked out, you, you've really pushed this. But if you were going to guess, like, what percentage of schools do you think don't give their staff any awareness or any kind of training about this? Do you think there are some schools that don't do anything? I think it's a different levels of awareness. I think different everybody levels, now yeah, yeah. knows about phishing, but how many go and get a company? So we, we've had companies in different contexts where I've been an IT director or head of uh, IT is that we've had, you know, a choreographed curated phishing attacks and really looking at that. So I think you have to be deliberate. You have to invest some money and you have to find time amongst everything else that everybody wants to do. So I think it's different, different layers of, of yeah. engagement. Because there's only so many hours of PD, so many inset days, so many, so many training sessions you can do. And, and you've also got to train on a million other important things. So it's really hard. Exactly. Exactly. So it makes yeah. it really hard. So I want to, I'm going to, we've only got, we're down to the last 10 minutes, John. So I want to just finish like some basics here. And just this, this slide kind of summarizes how I see them. And and this is just my opinion. People have different, you can slice and dice this in in a million different ways, but um, I've divided them into like tech, what I call like tech things and and like human, human things. I mean, on the human thing, it's have a, have a cybersecurity strategy plan, including a readiness plan for an incident. And afterwards, I'll show you the next slide. I've got there's something called the NIST framework, which gives you five competencies. But, you know, have a plan, even if it's even if it's not a great plan. And, you know, Mike Tyson said every, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, you know. It's um, it's going to change, but a plan's, be- yeah. a plan's better than no plan. Dan, on that plan, so many international schools have what they call a risk register, So they have to analyze and audit the levels of risks that they have. And cybersecurity should prominently be in your risk register as one of the things that you should be mitigating. Boards often require risk registers so that cybersecurity strategy plan. It's also about sustainability at the end of the day. So I think just be mindful in your risk register. You should have a focus on the cybersecurity strategy. Definitely. And I'll, I'll come back to this slide, but I want to just recruit, like, this is the NIST framework. This is one of many frameworks. It's the National Institute of Standards in, in, in the U.S. And this gives five capabilities of how you think about structuring your, you know, your, your plan. One is identify what, 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 what needs protection, what assets, what, what processes. Protect, you know, how do you putting in the safeguards to, to ensure there's protection. And then detect, like there's been a hack. How do we how do we detect it? There's been an incident. How do you respond to the incident? And then how do you recover from it? Now, what's interesting about, about these is three of them presume you've been hacked. So this is this is why I was saying, you know, like plan for the best. But the reality is, even if you look at this cybersecurity framework, three out of five presume there's been an incident. You know what I mean? So like, you know, it, you have to plan for it's going to happen. And how do we deal with it? Yeah. I think often one of the things that I know schools hesitate and even colleagues that are in the uh, role of IT directors is how do you identify your vulnerabilities? And I think that's where you get somebody from the outside. Exactly I think right. you know, having a budget every year of a significant portion dedicated to cybersecurity in the long yeah. run is going to allow you to be in the first two top of the NIST framework and not in the three last ones. Yeah, exactly. 
Just going to jump back in the slides really quickly. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, yeah, so first of all, yeah, and obviously, secondly, build your cybersecurity team. So obviously, you've got your, te your tech director, you've got your leadership, you know, are you building a team with any any other senior leaders? So you have like, you know, if an incident happens, so first of all, we will meet once a term, once a semester, and to, to, to and review the security. And if an incident happens, these are the individual responsibilities. This person will deal with a GDPR because obviously, with GDPR, you have seventy two hours to notify your authority. And in a lot of cases, you have to actually inform the people whose data has been breached, which could mean informing parents as well. Um, so, you know, have a, have a team ready. And if you've got any thoughts on that, John, about your, your cybersecurity team at your school. Absolutely. I think the leadership team need to be in there, even your maintenance and security people. But then again, have an outside resource, somebody that's an expert, because some of this cybersecurity stuff is quite complex. So having a resource that then you have a point person that can help translate it into what I would call more regular speak is so important. And making sure if you have a team like that, you're going to need to do audit. So you have to budget that. You need to have yeah. a budget line for cybersecurity. Got that below the line, Nowadays, budgets. Yeah. yeah. And 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 again, yeah, exactly right. And, and education, we've already talked about education, yeah. you know, your IT staff needs to be educated. You need to educate your staff. Now, in terms of the tech stuff, um, you mentioned audits. Doing a security audit, if using Google, we, we do Google audits. It's it's a, a thing everyone should do. Everyone should do technology audits. Um, any thoughts on that, on John, on the technology audits? Yes, I, I'm a huge fan of technology audits and, and doing it on a regular basis. You know, what you can do is some companies will do a three-year contract and that means that they'll maybe do your Wi-Fi and your hard network. Then they'll look yep. at student information systems. And then they'll look also third-party devices or even your uh, learning management system. So definitely explore and then do that on a regular basis. And it's a cycle. You know, it's a bit like yep. you were saying the health, the blood test. You know, it's good to go and get a blood test once a year. Exactly. And then other basics. I mean, we've already talked about backups. Do regular backups. And a good firewall. Now, I've actually missed one out of this list, and that one is, I'm, I'm sure you know, is two-factor authentication. Yes. Um, now, two-factor authentication, um, this is where you can either get a text message, an SMS text message, um, as an extra layer of security, or you can use an app like Google's Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator. Now, or, or you can even use a physical hardware device like a YubiKey. Now, yeah. of those, the safest is and the best is the YubiKey, but that's obviously more of a hassle. So people have to have a physical key. Second best is use a Google Authenticator app or a different app. Third best is getting a text message because text messages can be spoofed. It can be made to look like, and it can be redirected. So any thoughts on those tech factors, uh, John? So two-step verification, I am a huge fan of. I know for some schools, it's quite complex setting that up. And so one thing is maybe think of layers of two-step verification. So, for example, everybody in your business office, everybody in your admission should have to, and any leadership team member, when they're walking on their phone, they should have two-step verification. Maybe yeah. you won't have all the faculty, but I definitely, you want to move to a place where everybody is using two-step verification. And if you're in the Google education workspace or the Microsoft education workspace, those now are far more nimble and much more easy to set up on a large scale through an active directory. So I think those are things definitely to consider the two-step verification. I, yeah, I, just, yeah. I don't know how people, even if you're just getting a text message, it's better than nothing. 
And yeah, exactly. Great point. I mean, like, that's a really good point you made because it's every, it's all about doing something rather than doing nothing. Like, you, you, exactly. you can't be hundred percent. Like, if you were up against um, a, ded- a, a, a dedicated state actor, everyone in the world could be hacked. Everyone. There's yes. nothing you could ever do. Even you, John, who's got good cybersecurity knowledge, myself, who's got you know fairly good knowledge. There's nothing we could do. Fortunately, a highly motivated state actor probably isn't bothered about us, but you know, anyone can be hacked. We hope. Like, uh, we hope. <laughs> no, but I mean, well, everyone can be hacked. Surprise tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's everyone can be hacked, and it's just a case of you know how much does somebody want to hack you? If someone's motivated enough and they have the right resources, that you, you can be hacked. So you know, like you say, something is better than nothing. That's that's yeah. the key point. I want to quickly fly through just to one more slide at the end, uh, just to mention Google quickly. Um, so Google nice presentation, Dan. Thanks very much. Yeah, based based on, on a Google presentation. So Google, I mean, we're obviously a Google partner. I mean, the vast majority, I think something like 80% of international schools use Google, um, and which, which is great as far as I'm concerned. Google has really good security. Um, even if you use the free version, um, the security is good. There's a huge number of phishing attacks, mal- uh, malware attacks every day on, on Google, and, and it blocks the vast, the vast majority of them. Now, and Google itself has a lot of security on their data centers, et cetera. I won't stop too much on this, these slides. What I do want to say I think is... Also, Dan, and I think it's an important pers- uh, point that you're bringing up, Google. And Microsoft mirrors many of the things that Dan is sharing, because I yeah. know even though uh, Google might dominate, there are a lot of schools working with Microsoft. One thing to avoid is not have an internal email server. You really yes. want to move your email to the cloud, because... Great you know, there, are, there is a lot of cynics out there it's like, oh, Google this and Microsoft that and Apple this. But they are have the best paid cybersecurity experts on their payroll. There's yep. no way your internal IT team and no disrespect to all the fantastic men and women that are in IT departments around in, in schools. But there's just no way you have enough knowledge or capacity to keep up with everything. And so if you have an internal email server, my advice is get to the cloud ASAP. Yeah, I mean, I've heard different numbers of the average time to do a patch for a server for a server update, anywhere between three days and, and, and a month. But, you know, there's it's not immediate in most cases. Yeah, you know, and on your physical server, and Google is is updating. So it's yeah, great, great point. I mean, if you if you Google, it's going to get hacked. Most of ransomware Google comes from one way. It's there's a Google there's a drive desktop sync, which I would say just turn off is my is my advice. That's where you can sync all your local files up to your Google Drive. You know, some people have it if they want to save local files, and this is how malware, in my experience, typically gets there. Also, some Chrome extensions, some workspace apps, you know. So, I mean, when you're doing your audit, that's one of the things we do in our in our audit. We review all these apps and extensions. We check about desktop sync. Um, and if you extensions are important, Dan, because I think a lot of people don't realize Chrome extensions are not Google extensions. They're third-party companies. Exactly right. And Google is, you know, I would say that Apple's a little more rigorous about allowing right. apps onto their Play Store, especially yep. for security and viruses. While Google has a more open a philosophy so sometimes these third-party apps these chrome extensions can actually be a liabilities or even cause some issues yeah exactly so it, it's good good to audit them um 
I mentioned before Google uh, security audit. I'm going to um, just mention as well Workspace Education Plus. There is a paid version, and um, not everyone can afford it. So I'm not. I mean, and like I said, the free version has great security, but there are some amazing things you get with Workspace Education Plus. And I want to just mention a, a couple here. Um, so. One of the things you get is context-aware access. So that it will say, it, it will say basically based on these factors, it looks suspicious. Maybe these this device is in this country, whatever. So it gives you a lot of um, specific, you know, very specific ways to um, uh, to check things. The, the really interesting thing is security sandbox. Now this is something that's only in, in Education Plus. And what you can do is, when anybody receives an email attachment, it executes that file in a secure sandbox automatically. So then, you know, you know if it's ransomware, and then you can block, and then you can immediately delete that email that went to all, all the people who received it centrally. So that sandbox is is a big is a big thing. You know, being able to, um, you know, uh, run run something in a, in, a, in a in a secure environment, run every attachment in a secure environment, and then see if it's if it's malware. So Dan, to piggyback on the sandbox idea, a lot of firewalls will do that. So I know yeah. I worked with Fortinet and we had a sandbox and every attachment and file went into the sandbox. Yeah. So and again, have a, good, not... have a good firewall. Yeah. Sorry, John. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say that that's the same idea as what Google's doing. But if you don't have Google, but you have a really robust firewall and get some good training, those many of those will have that Exactly feature. right. Yes, yeah, Sonos, Fortinet, all, all the big brands are, are, are pretty good at yeah. this, this sort of stuff. And you also get an alert center. You get security dashboard. Um, so a, a lot of things. I won't go into all these things now, but just if, you, if you're interested in it, get in touch. It is, it is definitely worth it. Um, uh, I mean, a lot of international schools are, are upgrading. But, but like I said, the free version is very good. The free version is very secure. Um, so whatever you use, you know, you're pretty secure. And honestly, Microsoft's very secure as well. I, I, I'm not a Microsoft expert. You've had more experience than I have using it. But, but you know, Microsoft puts a huge amount of effort into securing it. Absolutely, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, I'm, I've been very impressed with Microsoft on the back end. Uh, I know my the IT teams that I manage that were working the Microsoft ecosystem always got some fantastic training. And yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to basic education, awareness. Yeah. And apart from awareness, actually letting people experience what a phishing email's like and being mindful. And I know one thing that happened in one context that I was uh, running the IT department is we did some phishing uh, you know, practices. And then we actually created an email called phishing at, and people would send an email. I'm not sure if this is a phishing email. Could you tell me? And that was like, perfect. We're at the right place. <laughs> didn't we're right there. You've sent it forwarded to phishing and you're asking, well done. I mean, that's where you want yeah, to get yeah. is that basic knowledge enough that they're not sure they move it to somebody that does. And I think you can set that up as a school is to have that awareness and you know, it, it, it's a bit like first aid. We all have to do first aid. Yeah. You know, every teacher in every international school, every two years has to do first aid. Well, why not do a little cybersecurity every year? Exactly. John, great, great note to finish on. Um, yeah. It's been a fun, a fun uh, chat. Thank you very much. As always, yes. you've got a great perspective. You've got a great perspective because you've, you've worked for a lot of schools and you've seen the progression. Like you've been in the game for a couple of decades at least. And then, yes. and you've seen, and you've seen it come from, you know, no internet to, to, to the set current situation. 
Absolutely. And I think the next level of issues is all AI. What does it mean when you have sophisticated AI taking over the phishing attacks, the spear phishing attacks, where this can be automated? And that's a whole other topic. Yeah, it's already happening. I've, I've been, been reading about it. So it's already happening. And, and it can really, you know, I mean, hopefully the, the AI, the cybersecurity AI can match the hackers AI. That's exactly. what I would hope. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Great topic, Dan. Always yes, good John. to catch up. Thank, Thank you, you to everybody for your support. And yeah, drop us some notes if this was helpful and any ideas that you want us to unpack again. Yeah, John, I just want to say in closing, uh, when we did when I did this session uh, last week, we had three listeners, three podcast listeners in the room, which is great. So That's we have great. Yeah, listening. no, no, it's been wonderful. And, and uh, I actually had a friend, uh, they went to a conference far away and they said, oh, and they were coming to visit me afterwards. And the person said, oh, I listened to their podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no. And we really appreciate the support yeah, we do, and definitely. the messages and the retweets. Thank you. Uh, and we always, we, we feel so fortunate to be able to do this. But also, Dan, I think we really enjoy the guests. And they're all so gracious and generous. Definitely. Yeah. And like, please give us a review on whatever you use, Apple Podcasts. Please send us an email. We generally love to get emails of people saying they've listened to the podcast. It's great, you know, because a lot of the time you kind of like, you just talk, we're talking here. We don't know who's listening. We don't get any feedback. So if you do listen, yeah. even with negative feedback, we'll take it all over. We'll take it all, you know, on the chin, you know, so let us know. Yeah. <laughs> and this will be our special podcast. So we'll be releasing it at the end of the week, right, Dan? Sounds good. Cheers, John. Yeah. Okay. Ciao.